Hey guys, my name is Pastor Ron. So glad that you tuned in to the podcast of Allentown Fellowship Church. Each week we're going to endeavor just to walk through the Bible book by book and then give you some truths that you can apply to your life. So welcome to the AFC podcast. Trust and pray that God's word today will be a blessing to you. Mark chapter 6, as we uh, continue and Mark's uh, kind of abbreviated account of the life of Jesus Christ. And we come to a section that might sound like it's a little disjointed, a little out of place, because we just came off of Jesus last week sending out the 12 apostles, giving them authority to cast out unclean spirits, telling them not to take any food, any money, not to take a rod with them, which would be for protection, only a staff and your sandals. And don't even take an extra garment. Basically, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make sure you have a place to stay. I'm going to make sure that you have food. It's not about your comfort. It's about the mission. And these disciples go out in chapter 6, verse 7 to 13, and they realized that exactly what Jesus said is what happened. They were able to cast out demons. They had authority over spiritual wickedness. They anointed people. People were sick. And no doubt in doing this, they were also proclaiming the message. But now we come to verse 14. And Mark puts in the account the death of John the Baptist. It's like, why, why did he tuck this account right in there on the heels of the 12 being sent out? Remember that, that these events have already happened. So the readers of Mark are reading about Christ. They had heard about Christ orally, but now as Mark is composed and writing his gospel, they're reading about events that have already happened. Okay, so why would Mark put this event right here in this place in his gospel. I don't think it's by accident. Uh, the gospel writers took liberty to arrange events as they were trying to get points across to the readers. They're not changing the events, but they're putting the events sometimes in chronological order, but sometimes if you read the gospels, they're not all happening in the same chronological order, okay? But when you look at the totality of the Gospels, you see the full picture of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And at times, the writers could take liberty to put this account here, this account here. It would be no different than this. If I wanted to write about what happened today, this morning as we came in today setting up, I could write literally everything that happened step by step in its literal chronological order. I put the key in the door, I opened the door, I walked in the door, I turned on the lights, I turned, right? Or I could just say, we came into church and Ben was setting up his piano. Whoa, time out. You just skip everything leading up to that because I want to make a point of what's important about worship, you see? So I just focused right on, he came in, he set up, he did a mic test, he sang a couple songs, he started to sing one song, and I was like, whoa, is that going to be in the worship service? No. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we carried on, and we had a great time of worship. 
Does that mean I didn't open up the door? I didn't put the sign out? I didn't set? No, of course. But, but I'm trying to emphasize something. This is what Mark is doing. Okay? And as we read this account, which is a pretty gruesome account because John gets his head chopped off. Um, I think it has some implications as, again, people are reading this account of Mark. People are reading this account who are believers, who are realizing, you know, following Christ, proclaiming Christ, standing for truth has implications. It could have an implication of your life being taken, which no doubt many of the early Christians suffered martyrdom. So this, this, this is a perfect place. Mark knew exactly what he was doing and putting this on the heels of being sent out to be a witness for Christ. So let's pray together and we'll jump into the text. Father, thank you again for your word. It is your word that changes our thinking and ultimately our hearts. And Father, that's what we desire today. We don't want to leave here uh, unchanged, unchallenged. So Father, we pray that you would open up our eyes to the truths that are in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Let's take a look here at verse 14. King Herod heard of it. Heard of what? For Jesus' name had become known. So King Herod is hearing about not only this person, Jesus Christ, but also hearing about the works that these disciples are doing. All right? And some said, well, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when John heard of it, he said, I'm sorry, but when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So what's going on? The popularity, the miraculous works, the popularity is spreading, gets to King Herod, and he, understanding what he had done to John the Baptist, his guilty conscience begins to take hold of him. And they're trying to give him, no, 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 King Herod, um, it, 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 it's Elijah, it, it's a prophet. Uh, some are saying, no, no, it really is John the Baptist. He's been risen from the dead. Now, King Herod, as we're going to see in a minute, what he did to John the Baptist, when some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, King Herod is thinking, uh-oh, this is the one that I had beheaded. What's very interesting that, you know, I was sharing this with Ben before. I won't go into a lot of detail here, but the Herod family was a mess. Herod the Great, uh, Herod, this Herod here, Herod... Uh, who was really not a king, which, which is interesting that Mark addresses him as King Herod because his father, Herod the Great, actually denied him that title and said, you will not be called a king. You will be called a tetrarch, which is basically a governor. Herod wanted to be called king, and we're going to see in a minute his wife that he married, which was his brother, brother's wife, really stepbrother's wife, Herodias, tells him to appeal to Herod the Great and tell him to name you as a king, and which he did. And then he got exiled. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's just a huge drama in this family. And, and, and so, so Herod the Great divides up the land into four quadrants and gives each of the sons a quadrant to look out for. But he's, he's going to be the king. You guys are going to be governors. So you got this 
this wife of his, who is really the wife of, really not his wife, um, he should not have married her, um, is trying to egg him on to you know, get this power. It was a power struggle. They wanted power. And, and all of this plays into this narrative, you're going to see. But nevertheless, Mark refers to him as King Herod. I think Mark's way of kind of like putting a little dig. Remember, people are writing this after this stuff has already happened. And they're probably like, ah, King Herod, ah, Mark, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know he wasn't a king, right? But Herod begins to ponder in his mind, who is this person? who's doing these miraculous works. Who is this? Let's look at verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. So remember, John's fame was more than Jesus's. John was far more famous than Jesus was. So John, when he came with his uh, uh, preaching a repentance, a baptism of repentance, John, John, if you if, if think about it like this, remember for 400 years, no prophets, it was silent. And then one comes out of the wilderness, John the Baptist. And now Israel's like, finally, God's speaking to us again. Here's, an, here's a new prophet. And John comes with this message. All of a sudden, disciples begin to follow him. John was different, right? Camel's skin, eating wild honey and locusts. Probably a pretty good diet, sugar and protein. Try it. But he began to gather followers. He's gathering followers. Jesus Remember, John was there first. Then Jesus comes on the scene. So John's disciples are already going, already going, already going. His fame and popularity. And notice in 17, Herod sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. What was it that Herodias did not like about John? What does Herodias have against John? Well, look at what she has against him. Because he had married her. Herodias belonged to Herod's brother, Philip. Herod ends up marrying Philip's wife. And look at 18. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John, continuously is the idea, you can't see that in the English, but when it says have been saying, the idea in the original is that he kept on saying. Kept on saying. Imagine him in a marketplace. John sees them. John's like, Herod. That's not your wife. It's wrong. Imagine seeing someplace else. Uh, Herod, that's not your wife. John continuously was pointing out to Herod that what you did was not lawful. Not, not even, it was not lawful by Jewish standards. It was wrong. Not to mention God's standards. And so Herodias, 19, 
had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. But watch this. For Herod feared John. That's interesting. He feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and so Herod kept him safe. Did you catch that? So Herod, although he is living a very immoral life, he recognizes that John is holy and righteous. And even though John is rebuking Herod, what you're doing is wrong, Herod. Herod knows deep down in his heart it's wrong, but he has this esteem, this respect for John because he's holy, because he's righteous. And so in order to protect John, he has him seized and bound him and put him in prison. Now, he was, he was giving in to Herodias's, you know, we got to do something with this man. Herodias wanted to put him to death. And John, in order to try to, like, appease a wife who's wicked and cunning and evil and having to come home every day, so what did you do with John? Did you put him to death yet? Honey, I can't do that. He didn't do anything wrong. He keeps saying that we don't belong together. Can you hear it? Feeling that constant pressure? So what does Herod do? Okay, I got it satisfied. Let me put him in prison. But he put him in prison. It's really a way to protect him. All right, I arrested him. He's in prison. And that, as we're going to see, that was not good enough for Herodias. You're going to see in a little bit how evil this woman was. But notice that John, or rather Herod, feared John. In verse 20, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. Watch this. And he, that is Herod, kept him safe. Wow. Think about that. It almost sounds like, wow, Herod has a heart. So you're going to arrest him, put him in prison, even though he's constantly rebuking you because you're married to your brother's wife. But this sense of John's holiness and John's righteousness and the fact that you fear him, you notice there's something righteous about this man. I'm going to keep him safe. But yet you're still living in blatant sin. <laughs> Do you see the dynamic here? You see, people, people can be aware that what they're doing is wrong and have this guilty conscience around you, but yet they can't really condemn you because of your life and your testimony. And I think that's what's going on here. And, and this is the way that we need to be as believers among the non-believing world. Oftentimes we get criticized because you're so judgmental. You're so, and there are a lot of Christians that are judgmental. And pointing out people, and you're going to die, you're going to go to hell, you're this, you're, okay, hold on a minute. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I don't need to tell a man who is steeped in addictions that what he's doing is wrong. I don't need to tell him that. He knows that. 
He can look at his track record. He can look at his prison record. He could look at lost relationships with maybe a wife and maybe children and multiple jobs where he has gotten fired. He doesn't need me to tell him what a rotten sinner he is. You get the point? Jesus didn't come to do that. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we can look at our lives and see that we definitely do reap what we sow. So some way in the interaction with John the Baptist and Herod, Herod recognized that John is a holy person. He's a righteous man and a holy man. And so there was a fear, this fear that he had of John. So I'm going to keep this man safe because this man is right. And I believe Herod knew the sin he was involved in. Guys, we have to have this attitude as believers where, where our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, we're portraying Christ the right way. People are going to reject truth. People are going to not want to have anything to do with God. But don't let it be because of you. Don't let it be because of you. Let it be because of the truth of who God is. I find this dichotomy so interesting. Herod, a man with power, unrighteous, recognizing a righteous man, holy man, to the point of, I want to protect this man. Wow. But it also shows you what? Just because you're willing to listen to the truth, that doesn't mean that the heart has changed. It, it doesn't mean that, that the heart has changed. True repentance is actually turning from one direction and going to another direction. So no doubt, I would love to have heard the conversations between John the Baptist and Herod. I would have loved to hear those conversations. We know they happened because he said John had been saying, he kept saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, I'm sure that they had more conversation than just that. So whatever the content of that conversation was, however John the Baptist carried himself with Herod, Herod's conclusion about John was what? He's a righteous and holy man, and I fear him, and I want to keep him safe. What a testimony. What a testimony. Well, because a little wicked woman in the background, so let's see what happens. All right, here we go. Verse 20 again. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. Look at this. And yet he heard him gladly. See, that's how we know they had conversation. When he heard John, he was perplexed. Like, hmm. There's something that John is saying that is speaking to Herod's heart, but Herod's heart is not open to receiving the truth. It's kind of like in John where John says Jesus was the light that came into the world. He, he doesn't just say light. I love it the way John says it. Jesus was the true light because there was a lot of light, light walking around. Jesus was the true light that came into the world and the darkness could not comprehend it. John, as he is speaking on behalf of God to Herod, Herod is perplexed, but he's perplexed greatly perplexed, and yet he can't quite put it all together, and yet he heard him gladly. 
I've had this happen at times when I sometimes talk to people who don't know the Lord and their life is just full of all kinds of wrong choices and they're just in a bad place and yet they'll come in and, and they'll want to talk. I get funny looks sometimes when people walk in my office and they might smell like marijuana or they might smell like a 40 or they might people kind of like, what's he doing here? What do you mean? What's he doing? He wants to talk to me, let him in. And they come in and they talk about their story and they talk about what's going on and they talk about the second girlfriend who found out about the third girlfriend. And by the way, the first girlfriend has a baby on the way and I'm trying to figure out how to keep anybody happy, brother. And we sit and we have a conversation. And I give them the truth of what God says. I, I give them the truth of what God says. I don't condemn them. I don't say, well, your problem is. No, I mean, look, you're coming in my office. You already know you've made a mess of your life. <laughs> I come and give them the truth of what God says, how God says relationships ought to be. And you're operating outside of God's design. This is part of the reason why it's all falling apart. And this, I'm talking to them the way I'm talking to you now. Oh, yeah, I know, Pastor. I know, I know. But anyway, so what do I need to say to this girl? Like, like they, they sit there and, and I tell them, well, do you, I'm going to give you what I think God would have you to say. I think you need to break the relationship off and stop living with her and stop having sex with her. Like, that's what I think you should do. That's what God would want you to do. Oh, come on, Ray, that ain't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> we sit there, we, but I, I give them the truth and they keep coming back. <laughs> and the next week they come back, the story got worse. And then the story got worse. And it's, it, it, it's, it, it's almost, it's not amusing, but it's just, <clears throat> it's like, okay, like I told one guy, you have a shovel in your hand. You have a shovel in your hand. And you keep digging the hole that you're already standing in deeper. And then you come back to me to say, now nah, what do I do? I'm eight feet under. Okay, let's go over this again. See the shovel in your hand? Stop digging yourself. Yeah, I know, but... <laughs> we got to just keep loving on people. Don't compromise the truth. Keep giving them the truth. Keep giving them the truth. Herod is in the, these conversations with John. He's perplexed, but yet he gladly heard him. Why does somebody come in and, and, and when they hear biblical counseling, why does it resonate with them? It has nothing to do with me. Let me tell you why it resonates with them. Because it's God's truth. And they recognize there's something in their life that's not working. But what this man is saying to me makes sense. But their heart's not yielding to it. So they go back out and do what they want to do just to find out it still doesn't work out. This is how we ought to be giving the word of God out to people, not beating them over the head with it. Look what happens. Verse 21, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles, notice the crowd who's there, his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. This is, this is like the VIP list at Herod's party. But when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. Now, you can go and do the historical context and read about the type of dance, but this was not ballet. This was a sensual dance. Which, again, think about the depravity in this family. So you're going to allow your teenage daughter to come in and run around all these men and dance centrally. 
in, in, in front of them. What, what kind of stepfather, because this is really, you know, it's not really his daughter. This is really his niece. This is his niece. Remember, this is his brother's wife, wife's daughter. Are you following it? I know it gets crazy. You're allowing your niece to do this? Why? To please this VIP list? You know, I often stop and warn because the Bible doesn't say in this text who she was. I believe she was Salome was her name according to, but that's coming from Josephus, a Jewish historian who makes reference to her. <clears throat> but what was this teenage daughter thinking? To have her father figure, say, I want you to go in there and dance with these men. Wow. What kind of parenting is that? Gets worse for her. Look what happens. And the king said to the girl, because she had pleased Herod and his guest. Did you catch that? Pleased Herod and the guests, sensual dance. Depravity here, folks. So now, in order to pay her back, he says, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. Other accounts say up to half of my kingdom, right? Which was a, 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 a phrase that, that they used in that culture. It wasn't exclusive to Herod. He didn't literally mean up to half of my king. It was just a way of saying, man, you're the best. I'll do anything for you. You don't literally mean anything, all right? It was a phrase. But obviously, he was so pleased that his VIP list was so pleased, which is going to make him look good, right? So now in front of them, he says, ask whatever you want, 23. And he vowed to her, made an oath. Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom, and she went out and said to her mother, isn't that interesting? She didn't just say what she wanted. She went to mom. Notice she went out. Who's not at the birthday party? Mom, Herodias. That's interesting. She's not in with the party. She's, she's outside of the party. You can kind of think about what kind of birthday party this was. We're going to leave it at that. She went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And no doubt she told mom everything that just happened. Mom, he's saying, what, what, anything. And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Now, again, I, I, I go back to this parenting issue. So you have this daughter doing this dance. Now you're going to mom. And mom is saying, go ask your father figure to have somebody murdered. What's going through the mind of this teenager? Wow. What kind of fallout did she have in her life growing up in this mess? It's amazing that the depravity of sin does not just affect those who do it, but affects those who are drawn into it. The effects of sin, the consequences of sin, it destroys. And she came in, 25, immediately with haste to the king and said, asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Wow. Picture this, guys. Herod sitting there with all his cronies all around him, partying going on, Drinking going on, no doubt there's probably drunkenness going on. 
this dance just took place, all of this atmosphere, she comes in and says, I want John's head on a platter. Probably right there before them, there was a platter with grapes and figs and stuff on. He just took the platter and said, here, executioner, take that platter, go get his head. You see how crude this is? Do you see how heinous this is? What would have a man sink to those kind of depths? Remember, this is Herod who knew what? He's a holy man. He's a righteous man. He fears him. He was keeping him safe. But now all of that gets flipped because you use your daughter to please these men and promised her, made an oath to her you should have never made, and she requests that you murder John the Baptist. And everything that you just felt about this man, believe about this man, goes out the window for the sake of you to keep an ungodly oath. Do you see the depravity of sin? Wow. Look what happens. Verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry. It grieved him. Why? Because of what we read earlier. He knew John was a holy man. He knew John was a righteous man. He was perplexed every time they got into a conversation. There was something about the truth of what John the Baptist said that, that started to, 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 to try to penetrate Herod's heart. And, and it was hitting him at a deep level, but he wasn't yielding to it. That's why he wanted to kind of keep John safe, to keep having those conversations. And now he's sorry. So, hold on. <clears throat> you're King Herod. King Herod. You're, you're Governor Herod, but you're in power. You don't have to listen to her. You don't have to listen to her. If you don't refuse or, or, or if you refuse to honor that request, what's going to happen to you? You're the one in power. Just say, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not giving you John's head. What else do you want? You want some diamonds? You want a couple donkeys, a couple camels, one little baby donkey? Like, like what do you want? Like, he, he could have done that. He could have done that in his position of power. He did not have to do this. Why did he do it? Look at why he did it. Even though he, he's exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths, and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. Want to talk about the power of peer pressure? There you go, right there. Got all your cronies sitting around. They all hear what you request, request it, and they look right at you. Like, oh, is he going to actually do that? And in his pompous pride, no problem. Executioner, bring his head. You idiot. Really? But notice deep inside, what is he feeling? Exceedingly sorrow. He's sorry. Like, I can't, I can't. You know, this, this is how sin works, guys. Have you ever been in the throes of sin? And like, you know what you're doing is wrong. Like, you know you shouldn't be doing it. And you're like, why am I doing this? Why am I going along with this? Because in that moment, you want man's praise more than God's blessing, more than pleasing God. Because in that moment, 
all who God is, all that God has done is not enough. It's not enough. You rather have the praises of man. You rather have your flesh have that enjoyment, even if it's for a moment's time. You see the wrestling of Herod here? You know exactly that what you're about to do is wrong. So not only do you know that marrying Herodias was wrong, not only do you know that John confronted you that it was wrong, not only do you know that John is a holy and righteous man to the point where you even fear him, kind of there's, there's this probably human fear as well as a little bit of reverence, like, wow, this is a man of God. Like, you know all that. And yet you give in to an ungodly oath. Why? Because of your guest. and You did not want to break your word to her in front of all these guests. And immediately, 27, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison. I always stop and wonder what in the world was going through John's mind. Again, I believe Herod and John would have had conversation. So John knew he was in prison, and I believe Herod may have even told John why he's putting him in prison. Look, man, I know you're a holy man. I know you, but you know, got this wife at home and she wants you dead. I'm going to put you in here. I can protect you in here. And, and here's John and here comes the executioner coming for John. What's going through John's mind? I believe in God's grace. I believe it probably was not a surprise to John that he knew at some point his life may have been taken because of the message he was proclaiming. And I do believe, and this is my personal belief, I, I believe God prepares every true believer when that time comes, that death is coming their way. I believe God prepares. I, I've seen that in the hospital so many times. I've seen that in so many settings. I believe God gives grace in the moment of death. But imagine John the Baptist seeing the executioner coming to grab him and take his life. So he comes and immediately they bring John's head, 28, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Stop again. This poor teenager. Wow. Central dance requests a man to be murdered and they come and give this man's bloody head to the girl. More trauma. Trauma, trauma, trauma. The depravity of sin. The destruction of sin. So interesting that, 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 that the girl in this whole narrative is kind of like a, a, a side figure or character in the story. But think about the hell she's going through. Caught up in Herod's greed, power, looking to please, and look what sacrificed. Look what sacrificed. Not only John's life, but again, the trauma that no doubt affected this girl. 
So they gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. So Herodias finally got her wish. Remember, she had a grudge against John. Why? Because John pointed out her sin. And the grudge was not just a grudge, it was hatred for John. It was hatred that ultimately found an opportunity to be played out in murder. Twenty-nine. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. What's going through the minds of the disciples? as they have to carry this corpse, what's going through their mind? Perhaps John the Baptist just got murdered. Was it for the message he was preaching? The same message that you and I are preaching? Is this a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to us? Now, they didn't know at the time, but it certainly was (laughs) because many of them would die a martyr's death. What's going through their head? What did that do with their confidence in proclaiming Christ? You got to think about that. Is this where we're going to end up? We look at this narrative that Mark puts in here. And again, I don't believe Mark put this narrative in here by mistake. On the heels of the disciples being sent out. I believe he puts it right there so they could tie it together and see some of the implications of standing for the truth of the gospel, standing for truth, being willing to stand for truth at any cost that may come your way. You know, John could have avoided, humanly speaking, John could have simply avoided this whole thing. All he had to do was, Herod, you know that's not your wife, right? You know you're wrong. I got John, but I love her. All right, God understands. All right, okay. Right? That's all you got to do, just compromise truth. Just compromise truth, but John didn't do that. He said, no, you're wrong. And he kept coming to him, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. While this woman hates him now and is waiting for her opportunity to, he never changed his story. As we proclaim Christ in a godless culture, that's going to call you intolerant and narrow-minded, are you going to stand for the truth and say, no, this is what thus saith the Lord. Now we speak the truth in love. We don't water the truth down, but you speak the truth. Irregardless of the crowd, like Herod's crowd, and what are they going to think? Irregardless of trying to position yourself for power or prestige. No, it's about the truth of God's word. These disciples were sent out on their first mission, and then they hear this account. It probably sobered the disciples of this day that are reading this. Like, wow. Is this what it means to follow Christ? It could mean death. You talk to our brothers and sisters in third world countries, it does mean death. We just got it too easy over here in our country. Jesus Christ, though, told us what? If you follow me, 
You need to pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. Cross, which is an emblem of suffering and pain. This is why I have no patience for the prosperity gospel. It's an emblem of suffering and pain. If you stand for the truth of the gospel, if you stand for the truth of what God says in his word, you are going to feel, experience rejection. You're going to feel it. If you're standing for the truth of God's word as it pertains to life, family, how to do conflict, how to do government, how to do whatever. If you're standing on the truth of what God says and you're not feeling any pushback, you are not. You are not standing on the truth of God's word. There is no way you can proclaim Christ. Not only the gospel, but what God says in every area of life and not feel pushback in this world. Because light has come into the world and the darkness does not want it, cannot comprehend it. The preaching of the gospel is what to this world? Foolishness. If you're not feeling pushback, now I'm not going to look for pushback. I'm not going to look for suffering. But just by virtue of who God is, you're going to experience it. And if you're not, you better check what you're saying. You better check how you're living. Because Jesus felt the pushback, landed him on a cross. John the Baptist experienced pushback because of the truth of the message he would not give up. The apostle Paul felt pushback. There's nobody who stood for Christ who just walked through this life with no pushback. Didn't happen. Why? Because God's truth is contrary to the God of this world and what the world says is true, what the world defines as morality. I don't think it's a mistake that Mark put this account right here on the heels of his disciples being sent out. I think we need to look at our lives and we need to say, okay, Lord, am I giving in to any pressure? <laughs> Are there things in my life like the way Herod gave in, right, in order to please his wife and in order to please the guests, the VIPs. Like, am I experiencing that in my life some kind of way where I'm not giving the truth of who you are for fear of losing friends, for fear of losing a position, for fear of you fill in the blank? Folks, listen, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not going to always be an easy walk. And I think that's one of the misconceptions that people have about Christianity. Well, I tried Christ and life got a lot harder. <laughs> you don't understand Christianity. The disciples tried Christ too, and many of them got martyred. When you live for Christ, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be consequences, especially in the midst of a world that says there is no absolute authority. There is no morality. You make up the morality. You are autonomous. You are your own God. You make the rules. And then you come and say, excuse me, um, no, I think there is a way that man ought to live. Who let him in? You're going to feel pushback. So let us examine our own lives. Let us be encouraged that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And let's make a commitment as Christians that we are going to proclaim the truth of God. 
in love, no matter what the consequences may be. No matter what the consequences may be. This is the faithfulness that God is looking for in his people. Amen? God, I thank you for your word, and I pray for all of us. Uh, truth matters, and it will cause hurt in people's lives because at times you have to rebuke. It will cause rejection. People will get angry. But God, I pray that as you've called us to be a light, to be salt in this culture, God, help us to do it in wisdom, to do it in love, to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, but to stand for the truth and not to compromise the message of the gospel, the message of your truth of who you are and how we need to be doing our lives. Give us boldness. Give us grace, Father, to represent Jesus Christ well. We thank you. Pray your blessing. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the AFC Podcast. I hope and pray today's word has challenged you to align your thinking with God's word. If you would like to come visit us for one of our services, we would love to have you. We are located at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We are in what is called the Daybreak Room, which is housed in the Dubs Community Center. 457 West Allen Street, Allentown, PA. Our services start at 1 p.m. So if you're looking for a church that sticks to the word of God, come on out and join us. We'd love to see you. Till next time, God bless.